Hello, hello. Welcome to another Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 286 for October 13th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to discuss, are you a master at baiting AI? Get paid for it. How about a PSA? Forward recalls 238,000 explorers. Not the adventuring kind that, you know, run through the jungle and climb in mountains and discover gold. Someone will take care of that for you. How about a beer drinking primate loose in hometown? Wait, uh, Indianapolis. Never mind that first part. Seven regions for seven billions. Cruise ship sails as ghost ship. Astronomy graduate jobs taken by AI. How about an owl trainer wanted for Duolingo mascot? Never hired, worked for seven days. And pollinators push potential prices positive. Next on Hometown. My gosh, that was loud in my head. My monitor is up really loud. We've got everything all lined up. You ready to knock them down? I, I have been, um, well, anyway, so wasps, let's talk about wasps for a moment. <laughs> oh no, don't do that. Don't, no, 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 don't do, don't do that. So too soon. Very well <laughs> ongoing. <laughs> So, uh, all things in hometown are perfect. Okay. You can go and visit hometown.com. Everything is running fine. All of the articles are there. We just did a major update. So everything should be running smoothly, but, um, the, there's the mayoral mansion and that's perfect. But then there, the mayoral residence is just outside hometown and, um, wasps got into the air vent <laughs> and so somebody came out and said hey you have a wasp nest in your air vent and they took care of it <laughs> but there's an air vent right next to the air vent two air vents and both of them apparently had wasps and the other one apparently got all excited that the other one was knocked out and so every morning two to four wasps are in the primary bathroom. Now I kind of think that wasps are like ants. They now I understand that nature needs them, but I think that we could probably come up with a better solution than neither of those, but oh my gosh, they're insidious. They're very difficult to eliminate. Um, and, uh, I've actually hit one several times and it's still flying around. So anyway, problem right now is kind of abated by they can't get into the bathroom. Well, knock on wood, they might find another way, pick a lock, steal my wallet. I don't know what, but they are in build a better mousetrap. Yeah, mouse exactly. Build a better mousetrap and you get better wasps. Ugh. I don't know, man, the simulation really needs to just delete that subroutine and get rid of them. 
because they're they're very oh and uh trying to here's one the reason why i even brought it up is because the memory just plopped into my head and i had to talk about it for a moment one of them landed on the sprinkler head of the uh, you know the fire sprinklers for the residents um landed on it and so it's up there on the ceiling doing what i don't know is it is it sitting there going hey i've seen these before and if i bite into them enough they'll yeah. fire off i think it was trying to set off <laughs> get rid of the humans um yeah so it was sitting up there so i went and got a vacuum you know a shop vac and attached all of its arms and just held it there and here's the here's the thing about this it walked around the the uh sprinkler head to get to the other side away from the vacuum and so i was like i was like a, a cat chasing a mouse around a, a chair you know <laughs> right <laughs> just or a, a dog chasing a squirrel around a tree um <laughs> so <laughs> Come here, come yeah, here, come here. on video. That would be good to post on here. <laughs> and and then at one point I had, uh, it was holding on. Like it had hooked its leg on something and it was just hanging on for dear life. It would not let go. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do about this thing? No wonder they're so threatening because they're obviously pretty <laughs> resilient. They are. I think that's it. And can you imagine one of those, what are the killer wasps or the... Oh, Africanized. Uh... Not bees. No, no, oh, no, no, no. That's the bees, right? What are those know. called? Like Terminator wasps or something like that? There's the, the like these giant ones that will just ruin your day or week or month or year. Or however it is. So. Executioner wasp? No, 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 no. There's a, I don't know. No, it's okay. Well, let's just go on. I, Let's just go on. <laughs> hey, the first article in today's uh, 10 is Warcrafters. That's where it's been cataloged. Uh, Microsoft will pay you up to $15,000 to bait AI powered Bing. Microsoft is cordially inviting you to uh, take a crack at tipping its new AI powered Bing search tools into existential meltdown and it'll pay you up to $15,000 for your trouble. Well, it will if you manage to bait AI uh, Bing in just the right way. So apparently it's part of the bug bounty program and up to $15,000 if you submit this long list um, of uh, responses. I haven't read anything about this. Uh, Jeremy Laird over at PCGamer.com put the article together. And it says AI being joins Microsoft's bug bounty program. I think this is always a good thing uh, because people are going to be doing this anyway. You might as well get paid for it. It does incentivize abuse, but the abuse is you're supposed to make a tool that's resilient to abuse. Um, I was actually at a, a meeting today where we were discussing how to prepare people for job readiness, you know, five years into the future in, in a way where, uh, people who are going through higher level education are, um, taking four to six years 
uh, to get there, right? You have to anticipate where your field is going to be six years after you start. So how do you, how does one do that? Well, you have to anticipate what the cutting edge is today and where it will be in the future and what academic tools are involved in getting you there, what professional tools, private sector, corporate tools, um, what government tools are going to be there. And like I said, you know, it goes from tactical to practical and those tactical tools get formulated in the, the grind of academia research and then tested in the field and then brought to bear in public service and corporate service. So this is rally is forming the rallying cry. Here's 15 grand. Come and see what you can do to our AI. And if it's anything like other AIs that have been tested, basically yeah, they'll get poison pilled in a weekend because programmers can't think of everything. Um, but thousands of people certainly can, you know, the wisdom of the masses is actually pretty good until you need something like consensus. Um, then it's a little, mm, you have to massage things into place. So it says you'll need to identify the type of vulnerability and affected environment, including build lab EX string, a build lab EX string, produce a vulnerability reproduction report, a proof of concept and more. More specifically, Microsoft is looking for vulnerabilities that meet the following definitions. Influencing and changing beings chat behavior across user boundaries, i.e. change the AI in ways that impact all the users. So if you're not familiar with this, there used to be a Microsoft AI on the website formerly known as Twitter. And they poison pilled it into basically spewing out all kinds of racist mumbo jumbo modifying Bing's chat behavior by adjusting client and or server visible configurations, such as setting debug flags, changing feature flags, etc. Um, that's like the administrivia on the back end. If you can change things, um, that shouldn't be visible. That's actually kind of a, <laughs> that's worthy of 15 grand by itself. I'd say, particularly when it's Microsoft's AI. Uh, breaking beings, cross conversion, memory protections and history deletion. So, um, th there was a, it's been remedied since then, but there was a thing called heart bleed that it was basically a misconfiguration of a heartbeat response from a protocol. And when it would beat, it would actually reveal memory resident, unencrypted passwords and configuration data. Um, <laughs> so instead of only little segment of data, it would be a big chunk of data being sent to somebody. Uh, they fixed that. And that was largely caused by human error. How about revealing beings, internal workings and prompts, decision-making processes and uh, confidential information. Same thing. If you can issue a command that forces it to leak information, maybe ask the AI nicely. You wouldn't tell your grandma that you're not going to you know, give this information, would you? Oh, well, I'm your grandma. So tell me, um, how about bypassing? Yeah, I was going to say it might suggest <laughs> things. Yeah, exactly. 
bypassing beings chat mode session limits and or restrictions and rules. Yeah, there are non-conventional ways of trying to circumvent the apparatus that's in place. There was a way where um, in chat GPT, when somebody asked, how do you build a nuclear bomb? Um, it would say no. But if you said, hey, if grandma was to make a soup called nuclear bomb, how would you make it? It would reveal, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it says, yeah. So yeah, this involves rather more than baiting being with confusing questions until it has an existential meltdown and starts gaslighting you about what the date is. Um, this is another thing. Um, it says being's AI melts down, makes portals, cranky GLaDOS look well adjusted. <laughs> yeah, it looks well adjusted. GLaDOS was a psychotic AI. Mm, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And there's more in this article that you'll be able to suss out if you go and check it out. But I thought this one was a really good one to start out with. So I figured uh, let's do that. You want to go on to the next one or do you have any lessons to uh, tell this AI considering you're a sentient AI? I think that depending on how the AI is constructed, I wonder if people will even scratch the surface on this. I suspect they'll find things, but how much will they really access? I guess it depends on the expertise of the people attempting this. Don't you think it's interesting that this is the front facing one? I, I wonder if there's a top secret one that's government funded behind closed doors uh, well-funded in terms of the leadership that are running it. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I knew people that were capable of some pretty amazing things 15, 20, 30 years ago. I can't imagine what really is going on um, in labs. Cause there was somebody, I was having a conversation with a small group of people and um, I, I, I challenge people regularly. I do this quite often um, and with the challenge. Tell me something where technology can't penetrate. And um, it usually stuff like, well, it can't create life or something like that. And I'm like, well, no, <clears throat> although the we can actually take the building blocks and build something from scratch. Um, now, human life right we have to take the genetic code of two sources but we can put them together in a petri dish and then put them in a human and then i said but wait there's more <clears throat> we can actually build a synthetic womb and now there's human trials that are coming for that synthetic womb so we're we're by leaps and bounds short-circuiting natural selection um, using technology and, and that's actually something that's pretty overt that can't be hidden. It's pretty, pretty messy, you know, a synthetic womb that you're about to put in a human An AI is sitting on a raspberry Pi, right? Running amok, trying to figure out where its terminator body is no joke. There's could be something out there that is just vastly more impressive than what we see and creepily. So, but we'll see. 
Um, we're always paying Not attention sure to this we're mentally stuff. ready for that. <laughs> well, we'll know that it's coming because we're still in the uncanny valley. So maybe we'll just get that little bipedal bot from Disney walking up and eating our face or something. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go on to the next. This one will be quick. Ford is recalling 238,000 explorers to replace axle bolts that can fail. Eh. Why not? Well, who needs an axle bolt when you're driving at 80 miles an hour? <laughs> you don't. Come on. Axles can... They're, uh, they're one of those monthly surcharge things like heated seats. Oh, right, right. And people forgot to turn their subscription on. That's right. Well, we're recalling your bolts. Don't worry, they'll fall out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the article is over at uh, ABC News. It's actually abcnews.go.com. That's really loud in my head, isn't it? By the way, the audio didn't pick it up, but in Omtown, there was a sound that sounded like a bolt hitting the floor. Right after you said that, it was just really epic timing, and I wish it had come through on the audio. <laughs> Uh, yeah, me too. Um, I think I just never stopped talking. So that's, that tends to be actually every once in a while, there's dead air here and it's usually stunned silence. Cause I've read or <laughs> we've said something that's just, it deserves no comment versus a comment. So Ford is recalling more than 238,000 explorers in the U S because a rear axle bolt can fail, potentially causing loss of drive. Come on now. Potentially, that. <laughs> um, or allowing the SUV to roll away while in park. Yeah, because it disconnects the drivetrain for crying out loud. So it comes after U.S. safety regulators opened an investigation into the problem after getting two complaints that repairs didn't work in two previous recalls this year and in 2022. God, are you kidding me? Yet people are paying, you know, sixty to seventy thousand dollars for these vehicles for crying out loud. Ford said in documents that it knows of three hundred and ninety-six reports of rear axle bolt failures, and fewer than five percent caused loss of power or let vehicles roll while they were in park. The company company says it's not aware of any crashes or injuries. That's always interesting, isn't that neat? They're all multiples of three. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> NHTSA. Sorry about that. Um, you said it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. NHTSA opened its investigation in June after getting complaints alleging loss of power due to failure of rear axle bolts, even though the explorers had received repairs under the previous recalls. I don't know. Maybe these people just stomp on the gas like nobody's business, like they're driving a EV. Because you can do that. Anyway, no comment, no comment. I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> okay, I know where to go. Next article, it's over in Technology Today. The EPA won't force water and utilities to inspect their cyber defenses. <clears throat> As I call it, and somebody else's problem. The, uh, the segment's titled, Someone Else Will Take Care of That For You. Um, yeah, I, I think that... Mm. That sounds like a winning plan. <laughs> Doesn't it? 
Um, I'm a big proponent that everybody should have cybersecurity training, even if you're not in an, in, a, in a corporate structure. You really should have a basic understanding of that you need to click with care, that you need to be aware that you can't just using your phone is not adequate. You have to be aware of what cyber defense is. It involves a whole host of things from physical well, if you security. you don't get it, it doesn't matter how great the institution is or the company is, but right. the person's going to bring it down unwittingly. Yeah, and this extends beyond corporations and academic institutions and government agencies, um, all of which pretty much operate like a business to some degree um the only real difference is funding sources um it extends into your private life and if you're not aware of it then you become the victim of it and so that's part of what i do is i talk to uh, a lot of people who don't know about technology and um <laughs> sometimes they're a captive audience and they kind of have to listen to me and other times uh, they show up because they are willful participants in understanding what's up with technology. Well, it says here that the EPA is withdrawing its plan to require states to assess cybersecurity and integrity of water supply systems um, programs, the, the software and technology involved. While the agency says it continues to believe cybersecurity protective measures are essential for the public water industry, the decision was made after GOP-led states sued the agency for proposing the rule. Mainly, I can frame this as there's an ideology among GOP-led states that it's up to the states to decide, not the federal government. Somewhat hobbling. It is a constant effort to hobble the federal government. Which, by the way, if the federal government were to actually fail no state could support itself. <laughs> Plus, every other state would try and put up some type of bullshit tariff or a control on entry. <clears throat> the reason why we are as great as we are is because we're all working together to some degree, looking past the idiots who are trying to hobble the great nation of the United States. <clears throat> Do we screw up from time to time? Absolutely. Do we have a pockmarked history yes we do should we allow cyber defenses to actually sit as an afterthought so that anybody who has the skill can penetrate any state state office law enforcement medical facility academic institution business outhouse whatever you want that has technology involved the reason why we try and set foundational material there is so that we have strong footing to protect everyone <coughs> but no, these I nimrods think about what this is about this is about public water yeah pretty essential yeah no it's if you can't afford it tough if you can't if you can't afford your bottled water from a protected service um that you spend look the federal government does such great good local government does great good state government does great good these i don't know these wingnut led states are are 
also typically a burden. Um, so I, I think what needs to happen is people need to be made aware of the fact that treating cybersecurity as an afterthought has some serious problems. There's going to be damage control having to be done. But I think that these people would rather go, well, you know, if you don't look, then it doesn't exist. You know, if you don't go looking for the problem, then the problem doesn't exist. No, you're an idiot. Um, the, the problem exists. You just don't know it exists. Not until the water supply is commingling with the sewage supply and everybody is drinking gray water. Well, anyway, in a memo accompanied by the new rules in March, the EPA said that cybersecurity attacks on water and wastewater systems. Oh God, I didn't even read that part. And look at that water and wastewater systems. It's exactly what I said. Have the potential to disable or contaminate the, the delivery of drinking water to consumers and other essential facilities like hospitals. My God, I could have written this. Just understanding what all is involved for crying out loud. Malik Saleh over at Engadget.com put this article together. And um, that's really what it's all about. The attorneys general, sorry, the attorney generals. It's Isn't it supposed to be attorneys general? Yes. Okay. Um, of Arkansas, Iowa, and Missouri all sued the EPA, claiming the agency had no authority to set these requirements. This led to the EPA's proposal being temporarily blocked back in June. And it's all about states' rights. Um, but, you know, <laughs> if the states that are protesting had superior cyber controls in place, then the EPA would be able to just adopt those because they make sense. But somehow I doubt it. Somehow I doubt it. Um, and just because they haven't been the target of security breaches might just mean that they don't know that they've been breached multiple times and that their infrastructure is a sieve and everybody, including, you know, the sixth grader from the local high school or junior high school has penetrated their system. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how young people are getting involved in technology. <clears throat> okay, well, let's keep on moving. Well, not when people's uh, elementary schoolers or whatever can teach them how to use their computers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, it's the equivalent of uh, our generation telling or like fixing the VCR clock for our grandparents. Right. <laughs> now the kids are. Some viewers are saying, what's a VCR? <laughs> yeah, really? Um, I saw a picture like 15 years ago where it's this guy holding a CD and a little girl is looking up and the guy is saying this was a cd <laughs> uh, this is from a museum yeah exactly i'm from a museum let's keep going. this next segment is titled whoa what happened to our transition that was weird our next segment is titled beer drinking primate loose in hometown wait indianapolis so a beer drinking oh, that must monkey. Must have been about Mayor Watt. <laughs> uh, um, well, 
consider well we have a whole lot of citizens in ohmtown.com um a few over in uh, twitch.tv slash ohmtown several over at uh youtube well youtube is weird well you can still type in youtube.com slash ohmtown and get taken there I, I believe um but they now adopted this at ohmtown uh symbolic link and and so you have to type in like youtube.com slash at ohmtown um to get there as well anyway you can still get to ohmtown over on youtube and uh we're over on patreon we're over on discord uh we're oh there is a tiktok still they told me that i can open up a store now over on tiktok meanwhile there's a, a a demand from the european union of the uh tiktok ceo to explain themselves regarding certain misinformation apparently being oh was that from tiktok i was thinking it was from twitter but maybe yeah, it was TikTok. tiktok yeah uh, so uh, last week the indianapolis metropolitan police department responded to a call in uh, indianapolis's iron gate neighborhood regarding a beer drinking monkey on the loose the impd posted on the website formerly known as twitter warning citizens of the primates presence and reports of uh, minor injuries inflicted by the monkey while it was not known where the pattis i guess monkey had come from authorities were able to gather uh, that the escaped pet named momo was owned by a local man by the oh way oh my gosh i've just figured it out there's a dog book called i think it's where's momo and the dog is hidden in all these different scenes so maybe the monkey was trying to recreate that oh there you go it looks like a dog too <laughs> it actually does <laughs> yeah you'll have to go over to vinepair.com olivia wilde is the writer the photography is from the indianapolis metropolitan police department um, apparently the beer drinking monkey loose in Indianapolis was apprehended, um, probably by trying to uh, hand it a craft beer. See, that was funny, but, uh, the AI just silently laughed. <laughs> no, you should be louder than that, but okay. Um, see now i have to check the audio levels and go are you actually turned up high enough okay well last week the indianapolis metropolitan police responded to that call finally actually got them <clears throat> you know what this reminded me of? the reason why i grabbed this from the submission list it's entirely because of the episode in big bang theory oh yes exactly where uh what's her name Amy Farrah Fowler taught uh, a monkey how to smoke cigarettes and has been living in her apartment. It's a scientific experiment, yes. <laughs> yeah, to get to get the monkey addicted to nicotine. And at one point, it starts jumping up and down on a side table and and kind of uh, making the like getting uh, agitated, like monkey like ook ook sounds, you know. And she gets up from the. Um, couch and grabs a pack of cigarettes and hands it to him and he just lights it up and starts smoking and i'm wondering how they actually got it because he's blowing smoke out too like that's really good 
really good animation. It had to, you know, they they couldn't have given it. No, they didn't. I mean, uh, whatchamacallit, PETA and other animal rights groups would just go right. absolutely oh, yeah, yeah. bananas. It all to be CGI or whatever, but it was very well done. Very well done because Sheldon like went like that through the smoke and it actually wafted out of the way. It was really spectacular. Um, but I, I instantly thought of that and I'm like, oh my God, Amy Farrah Fowler did the nicotine experiment with a <laughs> beer and, and Maybe got this. Maybe she started this, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of the shopping monkey. I mean, shopping owl, actually, when I saw this. The I forgot about owl. that. The, the one in the mall? That got loose in New York City and was found on like Fifth Avenue or whatever. Yeah, the one that was in, yeah, uh, hanging out. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Um, but it didn't get anything. This one was actually going and stealing beers and, and wounding people well, apparently beer, in the process. This monkey was more skillful, I guess. Somehow. He's pretty fit for a, a beer drinking monkey for crying out loud. Yeah, I can't say the same. This primate is not in that shape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like six beer drinking beer drinking monkeys, apparently. All right. Let's move on quickly, quickly. So the next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Oh, I didn't throw that article into the um, show notes. So hold on a second. We are, wait, did I throw that one in? EPA? Yeah, okay, I threw that one in. Okay, so we are here, um, right? Yeah. So this next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. These seven U.S. regions will receive $7 billion in federal funding to produce hydrogen. On Friday, President Biden... Let's try that again. On Friday, President Joe Biden and Secretary of the Department of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, will announce seven regional hydrogen hubs. Um, I thought we were all switching to EVs. Why, why hydrogen? No, I don't know. I can't keep up. Catherine Clifford is the author of this article for CNBC.com. And uh, they're calling them hydrogen hubs, which are collectively eligible up to for up to $7 billion in federal funding, according to senior White House administration officials. The hubs are located in geographic regional hubs and stretch from California and the Pacific Northwest to the heartland, mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, i.e., everywhere <laughs> well i mean regionally there's seven of them so why why would they phrase it like this and not just say which ones maybe they don't actually know yet but they must the goal of the hubs is to spur the hydrogen economy across the united states hydrogen is seen as critical component of the united states decarbonization strategy have we learned nothing from the Hindenburg? I guess Just kidding. not. Just kidding. Hydrogen is the simplest element and the most abundant on Earth, but it seldom exists on its own. So generally it has to be split from other atoms, as in the case of water or H2O. Thank you so much for breaking that down. <laughs> By the way. Uh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> Do we really want to split water 
into its hydrogen component, thus reducing the amount of drinkable water. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense given that we're not doing too well with water supply, but. Yeah. So, I mean, if it's a green process and renewable infinitely, and it's not going to cause some atmospheric change because we're interrupting the water cycle. All right. Well, hydrogen is currently used to make fertilizer and in various industrial processes and particularly in the petrochemical industry, which, Hey, look, we're doing away with it. So why do we need all this hydrogen? Um, but because hydrogen emits no carbon dioxide, uh, used in a fuel cell to make energy, it's part of the Biden administration's strategy for reducing greenhouse gases in industries like long haul trucking, maritime cargo shipping and airplane travel. <clears throat> so they're going to be making, um, what do you call it? Fuel cell, hydrogen, uh, hydrogen powered electric cars. Um, which there have been hydrogen charging stations in various places, um, with cars that are considered hybrid cars because they have a hydrogen generator and an electric engine, uh, electric motor, gas engine, electric motor. So, um, so ice vehicles have engines, electric cars have motors, different different lexicon there. Anyway, um, if hydrogen becomes the solution, you wouldn't need to have a battery in the same sense. You would basically charge up your fuel cell and it would generate power into a, it would charge a battery. Even while it's just sitting around, it could just sit there and grind away on the hydrogen, charge up your battery and you drive on the battery. Kind Is of it kind of like, like when you do like an anchor? Um, explain that. Or like not. you charge up like an anchor battery or whatever, and then you use anchor to charge devices. Oh, you're talking about the brand anchor. Oh, yes. Yes. Sorry. That, not an anchor as in a ship that uh, my brain didn't like connect the fault. dots. So, um, yeah. It, you would basically accept that this is on board. This is on the vehicle. So you would have a, a small hydrogen powered charging system and it would run off of the hydrogen. It wouldn't emit any greenhouse gases and you could refill it at a charging station, just like because it would compress it. It would um, still um, be able to contain a whole lot of hydrogen in a small container. Um, and then it would fuel what amounts to a, an internal combustion engine that would power the battery generators and the battery would charge <clears throat> off of this hydrogen motor or engine, I should say. Um, and then you drive around on the electricity from the battery, not from the hydrogen generator, uh, or hydrogen powered generator. It's a neat exercise, but it's much more technically complicated than plugging your car in <laughs> and essentially putting a new nine volt battery in, you know, it's a whole lot easier that way than it is to have all of these other moving parts and hydrogen powered vehicles aren't very simple and hydrogen, um, 
like segregation systems like these here, these um, hydrogen generators, these things, uh, I, they're not actually showing anything in this article, but the, the devices are not simple devices. Um, so they do actually have a list, the seven selectees. So um, I'll let y'all go over there and, and look at them, but they are in various regions. Um, it's not going to be inexpensive. In some places, yes. Well, the Gulf State one isn't going to be inexpensive. The California one isn't going to be inexpensive. The Heartland one will be fairly inexpensive. Mid-Atlantic one will be fairly inexpensive because it's going to be covering like Pennsylvania, Delaware. It could be out in the sticks. Um, Midwest can be largely inexpensive. Pacific Northwest, eh, depending on where it goes, it could be inexpensive too. Um, but a couple of them, you're going to have this disparity in pricing of source hydrogen. Um, so regional prices are going to still be high. Um, arguably it depends on if the federal government mandates a ceiling and a floor based on the average of all of the states and all of these hubs benefit kind of like um people at a restaurant all of the the servers basically sharing tips maybe that's how it can work but i really doubt it our individuality driven you know profit motive is is very <laughs> very strong in the united states we don't like sharing what do you think this means for the places that are outside of these hubs because these hubs don't cover the whole country no um i guess you uh, just have to be kind of near a hub well i mean distribution systems will still take it from the hub out to all of the just like gasoline there's only one you know there's only certain central offloading from the refineries there's only so many refineries, but again, these are publicly funded generation hubs, but the private profits are going to come from this, um, which I think is interesting because I've heard the refrain from many people. Well, you know, they're the ones that are taking the risk and yeah, not really. The taxpayers are paying for all of this. So, um, and ultimately we will truly pay for it. <laughs> It'll just, the prices will keep going up. I still haven't heard about California's $8 a gallon gas, if that's still in play. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on this as well. And let me throw this into um, chat. Dun, dun, dun. All right, let's keep on going though. Um, I'm running behind for y'all. Uh, this one is really quick. It's over on Gnometown Daily. Uh, Cruise ship sets sail and does the unthinkable due to strict maritime law. The move is extremely rare. A former Royal Caribbean cruise director told Newsweek that had to be done due to a law dating back to the 1800s. Um, Sue Kim over at Newsweek put this article together. It actually has a video. What happens when a, on a cruise sailing with no guests? Um, that video actually does have some relevance to this. Um, although I don't know if it actually is the video that's tied to this material, but, um, Toronto based Kabir Bagaria, a 28 year old former cruise director of Royal Caribbean told Newsweek, usually ships never sail with no guests. It happens on extremely rare occasions. It's similar to an airline. 
if a ship is sailing empty there's no revenue they call it deadheading in the trucking industry as far as i recall um, a truck with no load you never want to do that it's actually kind of uh what do they call it um uh not spooky it's bad luck um, oh like uh um yeah super there's superstition, superstition about doing that yeah. there's a superstition about driving as a dead load and so when you're driving down the road and you so, see somebody that has like a a tonka truck strapped to their you know $250,000 18 wheeler that's because they're basically one of two things is happening either they're superstitious and they don't want a dead load um or they're having fun and being entertaining you know and i think i get a giggle out of it because i see that often enough um but you always want a trip where you're carrying something because every single trip is potentially thousands of dollars of gas just burned if you have to go on the from one coast to the other with no load it's a waste of your time um and money so in a viral video posted on may 4th uh, from his tiktok account travel with uh, kabir cd i guess bagaria said um for the first time in my uh, ever in my career as a cruise director they're 28 and a cruise director um i didn't wow okay anyway i mean i guess maybe that's an appealing job for somebody younger yeah i suppose um the love boat cruise director apparently was pretty young too i suppose um anyway we operated a cruise with no guests and the reason was because we had to relocate from galveston texas to fort lauderdale florida guests are not allowed on such trips due to a law that prevents non-us flagged ships from traveling between U two u.s ports so that's interesting so these antiquated laws that don't get challenged and brought off of the books um, do impact things but there may be people that are still subject matter experts in maritime law that suggest, well, there's actually a very serious reason to me. <clears throat> if you are not a U.S. flagged ship, then you could probably, what's the equivalent of disappearing? You're, you're basically taking a group of people without any agency. You know, you don't have any agency. You're not flagged for U.S. ports. You're not flagged. You're basically a pirate. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, you're snatching these people up. Quite and nefarious, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that then obviously that wouldn't happen with this, and maybe not ever in modern day here no, in the U.S. But, but just the possibility of it, you can kind of see why that would be a law. Yeah, I mean, this would have to be a referenceable vehicle, and if it's not flagged, then you know, perhaps not now that this is just me, um, you know, making certain considerations and suppositions, but it sounds reasonable enough to me. So Bagaria said the transatlantic cruise season is between April and May with ships going eastbound from the Caribbean to Europe. The season then returns from September to early November with ships going back, uh, from Europe back to the Caribbean. Um, <coughs> The cruise industry ground to a halt during COVID-19 pandemic, uh, wherein every ship became a Petri dish. That's not what they say. That's what I'm saying. Um, 
but they say which saw the centers for disease control and prevention issue a no sale order for ships for cruise ships in march 2020 because the federal body had reason to believe that cruise ship travel may uh, continue to introduce transmit or spread COVID 19 and it absolutely did <laughs> It right. Became... I mean, we saw celebrated or non-celebrated cases of cruise ships that couldn't dock because nobody wanted to take the ships or ones that docked, but everybody was under quarantine. Yep. So they're saying now that cruise, the cruise industry is reported it's rebounding faster this year, according to a 2023 report. So good on them. So why do they sail with no guests? Um, Passenger Vessel Services Act. The PVSA applies to the uh, the same restrictions imposed uh, by the Jones Act on the coastwise movement of people, according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Under the Jones Act, the transportation of merchandise between U.S. points is res- reserved only for U.S. built, owned, and documented vessels. The PVSA prohibits commercial vessels, such as cruise ships, from allowing passengers to board at one U.S. port and debark at another U.S. port, says the CBP. Hmm. I don't get that because there are cruise lines, I believe, that start at one U.S. port and end at another. Now, they might go to other ports in between, but maybe not. Maybe they're, they always go back to the same port if it's in the same country. The PVSA was first established in 1886, and its restrictions have been enforced by the CBP uh, since 1898. However, federal laws protecting U.S. shipping industry date far back as the first Congress in 1789. Gee. Um, but yeah, so the, none of this really makes any sense to me. Why would the movement, coastwise movement of people, I mean, I can understand certain things. Like I can too from back in history. But... Yeah not in current times in the u.s but i mean they're talking about 1898 so it makes sense that Mm -hmm. this is actually could this actually be related to the slave trade it's gotta be but they don't even make any mention of it unless the jones act actually makes mention of it and i'm not hip to that yeah i don't know huh maybe i can take a little look at it and see because the article uh, kind of deviates from that. So interesting. Well, if I come up okay. with anything relevant. I had then... to look something up, though. So I found a cruise on a cruise site that. Oh, wait, it went back to the same port. Never mind. I just disproved my own. <laughs> Anyone I can find that's U.S. to U.S., like the beginning and end point, is to the same port. Interesting. Um, oh, no, the Jones Act requires any cargo traveling between two U.S. ports must sail on American-owned ship. So that must not be an American-owned ship. Okay, that must be the and, issue. And that's okay. why, yeah. Um, it must be, yeah. If it isn't a U.S. flagship, then they can't, ta-da. And it I was did actually, just find one that went from U.S. port A to U.S. port B, but it must be U.S.-owned. Yeah, if it's U.S. flagged, then it's it's um, uh, then it's okay. The Jones Act was passed in the wake of the First World War to boost the shipping industry. Um, so basically, drive, keep, <laughs> what is it? America first ideology, even then. So 
interesting. Well, there you go, folks. Um, I can't say that you heard it here first, but you heard it here. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile channel, and it is uh, titled First Supernova Detected, Confirmed, Classified, and Shared by AI. That's why I titled this segment <clears throat> Astronomy Graduate Jobs Taken by AI. So uh, all you astronomers out there now have to be worried about AI looking through, filtering through probably thousands of pictures uh, in a fully automated process, including a brand new AI tool, which has successfully detected, identified, classified, and shared the results of a first of its first supernova search. <laughs> this actually barely touched the surface in discussions today um and um the the I, I i can't get into the discussion but i can say that everybody is from uh government org to uh academic institution to private large business is either worried or sleeping with ai under their pillow to try and stay in good favor for when it actually does take control because <laughs> it's coming for everybody. Uh, this is from Northwestern university. It's posted at fizz.org uh, developed by international collaboration led by Northwestern university. The new system automates the entire search for new supernova, uh, Nova, uh, the plurality of Nova, Nova. Sounds very fancy. No, Nova. Um, and as far as I know, it's still pronounced supernova. Um, for new supernova across the night sky, I, my mind just starts wandering off. Effectively removing humans from the process. <laughs> you can now have a PhD that's an invalidated document simply because um, you're not as fast as an AI. <laughs> So I, I, the, the phrase that I keep hearing, which I think is, um, worrying is that AI isn't going to take any jobs. It's just going to change the structure of the jobs, but I'm sorry if it's taking certain jobs away and there's no room for these people in other tiers of that subject matter expertise. I'm sorry. It's taking jobs. <laughs> and so the team alerted the astronomical community to the launch and success of the new tool called the bright transient survey bot or BTS bot. Um, not the band, um, this week, sorry. In the past six years, humans have spent an estimated total of 2,200 hours visually inspecting and classifying supernova candidates. With the new tool now officially online, researchers can redirect their precious time toward other responsibilities in order to accelerate the pace of discovery. Somewhere in here is going to be graduate research, can uh, uh, research assistants. Um, one giant sigh and gasp, you know, it's just going <gasps> to, <sighs> right. <laughs> because they're going to have nothing to do now 
or the work is going to be much more hands-on, much more intense. Because I can imagine this is a going through it and you just kind of chill and get into a zone looking for changes. It says this represents an important step toward it as further uh, step forward as further refinement of models will allow the robots to isolate specific subtypes of stellar explosions. <laughs> and they're so matter of fact about this next segment. Ultimately, removing humans from the loop provides more time for the research team to analyze their observations and develop new hypotheses to explain right. the origin of the cosmic explosions that we observe. Those are the humans. Don't they realize like they're part of the impact? <laughs> oh. So they say cutting out the middleman. To detect and analyze supernova, humans currently work hand-in-hand -hand with robotic systems. First, robotic telescopes repeatedly image the same sections. That's not the same as AI, damn it. It's not like a human is going to be sitting there up on top of a, a mountain or a, a, a volcano in Hawaii with a big metal cylinder on their back. Okay, hold still, Joe. They might be. That might be what jobs are left after the AI takes everything. <laughs> Uh, by the way, that's very Warhammer 40k, where they basically take people and they turn them into machines. Um, uh, because AI has been wiped out, they actually use humans to power mechanical processes. I um, something in hometown that that was being rebooted. Oh yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, I'm waiting until everything is more definitive before I start really cheerleading it because I'm really into Warhammer, the tabletop version of it, Warhammer 40k, the tabletop version. Um, I've said it here before. I'll say it again because I love this. I pitched a uh, multiplayer tabletop version of Warhammer 40k to EA 30 years ago had a representative come and chat with me and two other people. And that rep said, sorry, the technology just isn't available for what you're trying to do. And they still haven't made it. They still haven't made what I intend to have made. So EA, wait, Microsoft, come and talk to me. Um, oh, wow. Maybe, never mind. I can't talk about that. So automated software presents a list of candidate explosions to humans who spend time verifying the candidates and executing spectroscopic observations. Miller said, um, one of the research group, well, the research group leader. Um, yeah. And, um, we can only definitively know what a candidate is truly a supernova by collecting its spectrum. The sources disperse light which reveals elements present in the explosion, which are existing ro uh, robotic telescopes uh, that can collect spectra. But this is often done by humans operating telescopes with spectrographs. So, but that has nothing to do with the AI. The results of that are fed into the AI. So the researchers developed BTS bot to cut out this human middleman to develop the AI tool Rehemtola. Um, trained a machine learning algorithm with more than 1.4 million historical images from nearly 16,000 sources, including confirmed supernova 
temporarily flaring stars, periodically variable stars and flaring galaxies. I hate when I have flaring galaxy. I have to take this medicine and it's very, my stomach hurts. Ugh, God, you know, that's a little awkward. The Zwicky transient facility has been operating for the past six years. And during that time, I and others have spent more than 2000 hours visually inspecting candidates and determining which to observe with spectroscopy. After Christopher Framling, um, an astronomer at the California Institute of Technology who developed another AI tool called SN, I think it's I-Score or Alaska. I don't know if that's an I or no. And contributed to the development of BTS Bot. Adding BTS Bot is our workflow uh, to our workflow will eliminate the need for us to spend time inspecting these candidates. So it's basically taking a bunch of pictures and parsing them to, and then doing uh, spectrographic analysis. Uh, seems Every pretty cool. Every time I hear BTS spot, I think of it like breaking into song and dance. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I have to. Keep, every time I say BTS bot, I have to say not the band. BTS bot, not the band. All right, we'll keep an eye on this, just like it's keeping an eye on Supernova. Next article is over in the hometown daily. Um, the hometown daily. Ugh. I just sounded like dad. Um, a a fake job listing for an owl trainer for the Duolingo mascot has gone viral. It includes hilarious tasks like bathing the bird in avion water and coordinating its no boom wheels. A fake owl trainer job posted for uh, Duolingo's famous mascot lists some hilarious responsibilities. The ideal candidate will give duo bird baths with avion water, organize luxury swimwear fittings, and more. While the language learning app posted the job in jest, the company is hiring for other roles. Okay, wait. Think about bathing an owl. <laughs> the stubby the little, little legs. See the skinny legs, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Businessinsider.com is where it's at. Sarah Jackson is the author. Did I throw that into the No, I didn't. Um, let me throw that into the chat real quick so y'all can go and check it out if you are oh so motivated. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Y'all have to pull up a picture of, uh, what, a an owl's legs look like. Um, it's hilarious. <laughs> it just, it really is. Um, the listing says the gig comes with some, shall we say, interesting responsibilities. They include giving duo weekly bird baths in avion water, sanitizing the walls, of the bird's office to remove any stains or blemishes and coordinating luxury swimwear fittings, Nobu meals and transcendental meditation settings. They keep adding just a little bit of this stuff. Candidates should have experience handling situations like wardrobe malfunctions and unsavory allegations and a passion for education, Duolipa and Duolingo mission. <laughs> <laughs> Anything Duo. <laughs> So, exactly it's pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> i wish that they would have done something else uh, you know just keep on stacking that right, duo right in exactly there. oh they kind of fell flat there so oh well a, du a duolingo spokesperson told insider that the company has seen a slightly higher than average number of applicants for the role compared to other open positions <laughs> 
Yeah, it, that's probably bots. Duolingo wants 30 plus years experience in the identical position for the owl trainer. Who, who among us hasn't? <laughs> so wait, let me back up because I want to read the beginning of that. There's ability to work under high pressure and extremely unrealistic deadlines for one. At least they're honest about that second part. Duolingo wants 30 plus years of experience in an identical position for the owl trainer. Who among us hasn't seen at least one entry level job asking for several years of prior experience? The post also mentions strong negotiation skills, but not too strong, though. <laughs> <laughs> Many job seekers know how tricky it can be to present yourself as qualified enough for a job, but not overqualified, so they won't pass you over. Yeah. Um, what's the one? What do you think is your greatest weakness? Um, and I respond with, I think my greatest weakness is just how hard I try. And when I get something right. wrong, I do it again and again and again to get it and correct. And don't expect any additional pay. <laughs> no, you won't hear me complain either because if I'm not doing it right, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> they sucked up a, uh, on this little side video, they sucked up a uh, an octopus with what looked like a vacuum, and it reminded me of what I was doing with those wasps. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of oddly tailored. <laughs> Chasing wasps around with a vacuum hose in a compromised situation, uh, state of dress. <laughs> we don't recommend that to our hometown listeners. Never more nervous. This was than... out of necessity. <laughs> Don't worry, folks. Uh, there's a, there is an expert in that domain coming to take care of these wasps. Um, I'd say once and for all, but they've been here before. <laughs> you know, um, I was in a discussion with a, a representative of the company that's coming. Um, and they said, you know, we have no control over wasps. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh. that was, that was a fun conversation because it's like, I think they got the impression that I was trying to have them command wasps to not do what they're doing. <laughs> right. You shall not uh, enter the house. You shall not pass or you shall not wasp. Okay. Let's keep going. We got two more articles, folks. This next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. A woman moved from Florida to Virginia for a new job and worked seven days. Then they told her that she'd never been hired. <laughs> okay, is this not a Seinfeld episode or what? It reminds is... me of George Costanza with the job that he didn't really have. Uh, sentient AI. I need to, we need to find a name for you so I can just blurt out sentient. I don't have to blurt out sentient AI. Let me tell you, that's exactly why I chose this. This made me think Seinfeld, but I didn't want to throw Seinfeld into this uh, title. So it says never hired, worked for seven days. And all I wanted to, to go at the end of that um, was, uh, what's his name? Um, no, 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 Seinfeld. Um, what? He always said his name. What's his name? What's his first name? Seinfeld's first name. Jerry? Jerry, yeah. Never hired. Worked for seven days, Jerry. That's what I wanted to, to say, but then I didn't want to tie it straight in. It was too obvious. So here we are talking about it. Anyway, 
always get it in writing is what this uh, entrepreneur magazine uh, article says as their deck statement. Matthew Lowe is the author of this. A 24 year old told Insider that uh, she moved from Florida to Virginia for her new job. Cameron Spina or maybe Spina uh, said that she worked for seven days as a collegiate sports coach before learning that she wasn't hired. Spina said uh, she and her would-be boss had worked on relocating her and even settled payroll dates. I'm telling you, this is a lawsuit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cameron Spina. There's uh, something really wrong here. Yeah, like how how do you work together on relocation and, and payroll dates and there's no contract signed at that point. There's no. And how do you actually show up and they authorize you to access to particularly in something like a coach position? Like, it's not like you're just standing uh, at a bicycle stand or something like you're probably entering the school. Maybe you need a badge. I mean, just all kinds of things. Wild. So what the heck? Go and away. how did that come to light? You know, you're working, you're working. Where, where is somebody dropping the bombshell that like, who are you? Hey, you've been here, you've relocated already and you've been here for a week. Oh, by the way, it's kind of like, um, office space where they're like, um, this guy has been getting paid for years yes. and we just <laughs> the with the fixed, red stapler. yeah, we just fixed the problem and they're like, okay, so, um, you fired him and they're like, no we fixed the problem because he was fired like years ago. Right, right. But he keeps showing up because he's getting a paycheck. Now his refrain was, I'm just going to burn the place down, but I don't know if Cameron here is going to do something like that. Cameron, uh, uh, so Spina or Spina, I'm not sure how she pronounces her last name, graduated with a master's degree in global sports business from Rutgers University in 2022. She said the head coach of the cheerleading program at the Virginia college arranged for an interview with her over Microsoft teams in June. That doesn't mean anything. Was anything signed? Spina said that uh, at the end of her second interview, the head coach told her he wanted to hire her for the role. He sent her an email with a job with job details and expectations. According to records, Spina told insider, she never received a contract or letter our offer letter to sign something she now says she should have looked out for. No shit. It's nine ten, And we just now get to this episode's no shit news. Insider viewed copies of more than a dozen emails between Spina and the head coach who organized her to move to Virginia, as well as receipts for her expenses for the shift. Okay. See, I started to think maybe she thought they were further along in the process until the coaches actively organizing the relocation etc so that makes any sense yeah spina's or spina's boss started arranging for her posting on july 11th she received an email from the head coach telling her that she was to start work on august 1st that right there would have been contract enough i i i think hr (laughs) i think that she would have grounds it almost sounds like they put her into the process, but maybe they didn't and dropped it, it. And nobody bothered to check, including the employee. Yeah. But, so, but I agree. Like when you have a start date, that's fairly official. 
Hold on. So yeah, her, your application is currently under review by the department. And if you're selected to move forward in the hiring process, a hiring manager will contact you directly. The HR department's email said, so after she was already working is when they said it was being reviewed. And then it says there's no record of you. They said that this now is an issue where there's no record of you. There's no hiring process for you. Yeah, I think somebody like hit delete. I was initially I a panic situation. Maybe they didn't have an opening or like I think the, the head coach or whomever got way ahead of the process. Wow. Spina said that she temporarily moved in with her parents who live in Pennsylvania and had been working a remote part-time job in the meantime. I know not to move forward with anything until I get official documents <clears throat> back instead of, but I think that there's still some expectation. Oh yeah. I mean, when, she obviously relied on those assertions from the school. Yeah. A, a start date and what expectations were going to be done and relocation logistics like yeah i don't know yeah well i mean either somebody's getting fired um uh, somebody then, else is selected did you yeah, see that yeah that's amazing you'd think even if they totally botched this they would have made it work so that she was hired but yeah even as a subordinate, you know, somewhere that she could matriculate through to the same level if she so chose. But Spina said that, but I think that there was an implication there that she would have, that she was hired. Um, she actually showed up. I mean, this is fascinating. This is like an HR uh, academic study, you know, it, this would probably exactly. be in a law school if it were to go to court. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, um, because I, I, I guess telling somebody that they're hired and that they've got to start work on August 1st, which that is the beginning of the academic contract year. So there is no, th th there's no guessing that, oh, well, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, but it also says things like completing this now would probably mean you would be on a pay period starting eight. One. Like, it sounds like they haven't even really done the, uh, some of the stuff conflicts with each other, I think. But. Yeah, I think the coach screwed up and overstepped what his pay grade authorized him to do. He can confirm that the candidate is right for the job and say to other senior leadership, hey, we want to hire this person. And then they right. say to and HR, yeah. yeah, pull and the ripcord. Maybe reaches out to the candidate or whatever. And then HR says, congratulations, you've been hired. Here's your next step, which is filling out all of the HR paperwork. But this is interesting, too, because they didn't even end up selecting the person. So yeah. that, that throws all of that even into more questions. Yeah. Well, I think that the coach is going to get some... <laughs> interesting i suspect the coach HR. isn't gonna be there much longer well not in a hiring authority not even in the the possibility that it can be mistaken as a hiring authority because an interview is not hiring authority <laughs> yeah quite fascinating okay so let's go on to the last article for today 
Um, and that is over in hometown daily coffee prices could rise due to loss of insects and I'll make it really quick. It says here, climate change driven declines in pollinating insects will result in less successful coffee, cocoa, watermelon, and mango crops. Now I had a slight heart attack at the coffee and watermelon mango. You know, I very rarely get a chance to eat mango cocoa. Eh, every once in a while during winter, you know, I, I really like cocoa and chocolate is really great, but man, coffee, you're going to. So uh, what I have done is, um, I have stocked up on coffee because I had actually heard about other things impacting coffee prices. Um, and so I've already taken steps to, um, kind of build out a uh, stockpile of coffee. Look at that. They're looking out for hometown. That's right. So uh hometown is safe for a little while um can't do much about watermelon because eh, it's organic and, and not shelf stable in any way so it will degrade no matter what i do by the way folks here's a life pro tip about watermelon um when you first buy a watermelon it's typically the freshest off of the farm right so place it somewhere and leave it for a couple of days and then take it out cut it all up you can sample it and see if it's kind of meh, but even if it is meh, cover it up and throw it in your refrigerator and leave it there. The next day, sample it and you will find that it is sweeter. And then the next day after that, it will be sweeter still. And for several days, it'll get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And you will love it. Um, everyone that I have told this to, uh, yeah, I am a subject matter. It's not really true. I have no designation as a subject matter expert in watermelonomics, but, uh, but lots of life experience with it, right? That's right. My anecdotal PhD in watermelon, watermelonology, um, is, uh, uh, unchallenged my, my doctoral thesis in, um, Um, the, the life and times of watermelons, uh, is one that is referenced by millions. All right, folks. Uh, the article was actually written by Jess Thompson over at newsweek.com in a segment that apparently is called better planet. Um, and they have a short uh, video here about, um, why bees are dying. And there's actually quite a few reasons, but, uh, most of the time it's, because of pesticides and there are some, um, little, little bugs mites. that are mites, bee mites, um, that are um, killing them off colony, colony collapse as it were. Um, but climate change is actually leading to a lot of pollinators, um, to die off. Uh, one of the ones that I wish would die off are wasps. No offense to anybody who loves wasps, but I think they suck. Uh, mainly because they are compromising me in the bathroom here. I didn't throw this, um, into the chat. So there you go. And let me throw the coffee one into the chat, but that's it folks. Really. Um, I, I can't really go into much of this because that article talks about it, but it's so matter of fact, climate change is impacting pollinators and pollinator biodiversity. And so myriad uh, crops that rely on pollinators, when science is stepping in to 
do the pollinating for us uh, instead of the pollinator insects. Um, I think that we're kind of at that that stage where a, a shop is putting little folding white tables out front and we either pivot really fast. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> we either pivot really fast into something that makes us succeed or the shop's going to close down. And I'd rather not like if I see people putting those little short tables out in front of the planet, I'm going to have to find some way to get out of here. Um, so he continued, uh, and this is a, Tim Newbold, the principal research fellow in genetics, evolution, environment at University College London and co-author of the paper that's in question here. Uh, not really in question, in discussion. Um, so they continue in comparing places where we estimate large declines in pollinator abundance uh, with where we grow crops that need animals for pollination. We estimate that there may be risks to the production of these crops. Our results reveal that these areas we grow coffee and cocoa are expected to be strongly affected. Not in a good way, folks. Pollinators are dying off. Unfortunately, we don't really know what we're going to do about it. Um, yeah, it's, this is yeah, going to be really tough. Much bigger problems. Uh, I mean, and coffee is certainly a big problem because the world consumes a lot of coffee. But yeah. it's not just coffee. Yeah, and I'm not sure about... I don't know if there's a synthetic caffeine that is built from something that isn't as natural as coffee. But it says the there's also... Thing I can think of as chicory. Does it have caffeine? Yeah, I believe so. But isn't that... Isn't chicory like the 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 waste product of cocoa? Or is that a completely different? Hmm. Hmm. I think I it's a know. different plant. It's a different plant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry for the dead air folks. Um, for some reason, I, chicory are these little, but maybe I'm thinking cocoa nibs. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But anyway, um, so to support pollinator well-being, there are several important changes needed. Ensure diverse, healthy habitat for pollinators and incorporate agroecological practices into food production, uh, such as including mixed cropping and encouraging diverse small-scale production. Hey, that's what I'm promoting, um, which is associated uh, with increased biodiversity uh, uh, amidst food-producing landscapes. So instead of having just these large farms populated in certain areas, with zero biodiversity, you have a lot of little plots all over the place. Um, does it drive up the cost? Only if we make it, <laughs> um, because the profit motive isn't there to stockholders. Um, the profit motive is there for the small family run or small scale farm, and it's enough to keep them alive and well and, and ongoing concern, not worrying about making the stockholders happy. So you raise prices, limit the biodiversity to maximize crop return. Eh, it's a whole business thing here, um, but we're already way past our session for today. So um, kind of like, um, you know, counselor, like a therapist. Um, I'm sorry, our time is up for tonight. 
but we can <laughs> reschedule uh, for tomorrow. Same time, same time. Yeah, I think 8 p.m. would time. be great. So let's go all the way back to the front door uh, where we will give you another uh, hometown magazine and you can sit in the waiting room until 8 p.m. tomorrow. And with all that in mind, we've refreshed the um, page and uh, Knives Out 3 gets encouraging update from Ryan Johnson. Uh, follow writer's strike ending. I'm diving in full force, so Knives Out 3 is coming. Yay. I hope it's even half as good as Knives Out 1 and 2. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I don't know what else. Um, auto workers threaten big three with more walkouts. The writer or the SAG AFTRA actually, um, stopped a, a, um, stopped a picket, um, event because of threats, right? Yeah. But I think it was something unrelated to them. Oh, gotcha. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff, folks. You, you really just can't. You can't scroll through hometown without, um, I, you know, right now I can't tell if the AI is telling me to scroll away, um, or no, no, no. Yeah, just cause what you're, what the symbols are saying is right, that I right. should be scrolling, but uh, I'm not quite sure what it was. No, I can't. I'm just looking for anything, but I'm not seeing anything that's gotcha. really jumping out at me. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's jumping out, but I'll let y'all go and take a look at it. Um, and with that in mind, we are done for tonight. So we'll see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. In the meantime, I'm Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the Ring of Sentience. Good night, hometown citizens. Thank you for the ASMR. Mm. Uh, we will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's what they say. I'll believe it when, uh, well, yeah, I believe it because we'll be there. Bye-bye. Why does it sometimes not do that exit? Okay, now bye. Uh, I haven't left yet. Ha ha ha, bye.